All right, so we are in part seven of an eight-part series called The Mission of God. We started off in the beginning with creation. We moved into curse, and then we had a sermon on calling and covenant, and then we spent two weeks on Jesus, on Christ and the cross. And what we talked about last week was how the cross was kind of the sealing victory for God's mission. But now today we find ourselves in the moment of church, where we're in between resurrection but not yet to new creation. And that causes a lot of difficulties, right? It, we live in a difficult moment of history, but it's the mission of God that God has called us into, is to be the church right now. I want to start off with a scripture reading that I think shows that what we are called to be is that the church is the mission of God embodied. It's, it's manifested through the local church. Ephesians chapter 7 says this, or chapter 3, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the workings of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Notice this. His intent was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to this eternal purpose that he is accomplishing Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. So what we're talking about today is that the whole story of the Bible, of God's story, is really God's mission for the world. And now that has been entrusted, God is on mission and he's inviting the local church to come be a part of it. But even as I say that, I, I feel tension because um, I've heard a lot of your stories, people in this room. That's what I loved about the planting process and the building a launch team was that we were able to have lots and lots of our launch team members and partners in our homes to hear your church experience, to hear about uh, what you think about how family and faith integrate and your, your, your background of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I feel tension because in a lot of those stories, there's church hurt right? Unhealthy leaders, unhealthy conflict that was not managed well, and it leaves these scars and these wounds. And then we read the, no, the news of uh, pastors and churches caught up in scandal and sin, um, where churches are not rebuffing sin, but unfortunately they seem to be a place where sin is a breeding ground. These unhealthy churches. And, and we look out in the world, and we live from our experience, and we think, God, is this really the people that God's mission is meant to be a float out from is the church. It's, it's so broken. It seems so flawed. But what we believe is, when I, I read scripture, and what we see is that church, is, there's only some things that the church can do. There's only some things that the disciples of Jesus who live in community can bring to the world that no other organization, no group of people can do. And that when we see injustice and hurt in the church, I think we need to be reminded in Scripture that God is going to judge leaders and teachers more strictly, which sounds harsh, but when we see the injustice in the world, we know that God is going to take care of those things. But also that the church is distinct because we are on the edge of God's kingdom, on the edge of it, looking out to the darkness, looking out to the world, and choosing to stay in the brokenness. So, of course, our churches hurt sometimes. Of course, churches live in brokenness, but that's where we are meant to be, where everyone else chooses to take a step back, to not engage, not be involved in the brokenness. Churches are choosing to be in the middle of that, 
to find and bring about renewal through God's mission. So there's tension here that the church sometimes is seen as outdated. It's seen as not caring about justice, seen as not uh, being relevant. But what I want us to look at today is that, in fact, that's the opposite. The church is the vehicle for God's mission today. And I also found a profound sense of hope. Because even though we heard uh, during the launch process stories of hurt and of church wounds, y'all are still in this room today. That you are, in fact, still a part of a church, helping lead a church. But not only that, but a church that wants to plant more churches. Because we believe that the churches are the hope of the world, the vehicle for God's mission. So we're going to get that into that today. That the church is this embodied, manifested uh, vision of the church Because I even think about last week um, where we had prayers of lament from our church body where Dr. Candy Owens uh, led us in a a kind of way of recovering from trauma, sitting in trauma. And what I found just so distinct about that was I would not know Candy if it wasn't for church. What other space would we have met in? And I wouldn't have uh, known Breon or I would know Natalie because I'm married to her. But there's people who are involved in church that we just don't get to interact with if not in this body of believers living stones brought together that we can help one another in traumatic moments but not only that it's not only after the moment of crisis but it's the next week and the week after that and the week after that that the church chooses to lean into the brokenness and darkness in the world to provide hope and light and we're going to keep doing that the churches live in the mundane and the ordinary of life that we're not brought together by Hobbies, we're not brought together that we are similar, we look alike, we talk like that, we have the same things, but we are brought together, a diverse family, to do life together every single day. We we celebrate and live into the ordinariness of life. I think that's where flourishing takes place. So this morning we're going to look at two texts, Acts 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2. If you'd like to turn there, Acts 13 is going to be on page 946 in the uh, coffee shop NIV Bible. But as we read this, um, what we see is that after the cross of Christ, after resurrection, the Holy Spirit pours into the early church, and it, just, it takes off. It, it takes off in fire. Uh, and what we see is that the church is growing by planting more churches, discipling communities of Jesus, living into God's mission. So let's read this, Acts 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had, finished, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So our sermon this morning is really simple. We're going to stick to four main points. Beloved family, spirit-led movement, holistic ministry, and renewed identity. We know all these. We've heard all these. We're going to work our way through them. But notice here the beloved family. Uh, And you might miss this at first, but notice the leaders that are mentioned, the, the prophets and the teachers. We have Barnabas, who in Acts 4 we read, is this uh, Jewish man brought up in the Hebrew heritage and tradition of teaching. But he also seems to be a man of some means. In Acts 4 we read how he sells his land to give to the church. So there seems to be an economic distinction with Barnabas. He has this means to bless the church. There's difference and diversity in this leadership in Acts, in the church at Antioch. Next, we have Simon called Niger, which this Latin word here means 
black. And what we find is that there is a black man helping lead the church in the New Testament. That's significant, that there is a diverse leadership leading the way, paving the way for God's community to grow and thrive and flourish. Next, we have a uh, man named Lucius of Cyrene, who seems to be a man who was kind of dispersed due to persecution, was Jewish, uh, but had converted to Christianity, now living in Antioch, and he is a leader, a prophet, teaching. But then we also have this interesting man named Manian, who is uh, here, kind of, the language is that he's kind of become a foster brother to Herod. He's been kind of adopted into the family. Remember, Herod here of Antipas, high social standing. So again, we have someone in this community who has high social order to where uh, Barnabas and um, Simeon might not have had that same social standing. And of course, we have Saul, uh, a man who was persecuting uh, Christians. Uh, Life was overtaken by God's grace uh, to now be leading the church. What we have here is a diverse socially, racially, and culturally leaders that are leading the church. And I think when we think about God's mission, God is clearly choosing to covenant with a diverse family who's called to be united together, multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational leaders leading the church in Antioch. I think this is significant because when we think about our life as disciples of Jesus, our life's purpose as we walk down this path is to become more conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. But unfortunately, due to the curse and sin in the world, we sometimes naturally just draw towards people who are just like us, who it's easy and comfortable to be around. But what happens is if when we choose that, we just simply are not conformed to the image of Christ, but are more and more conformed to our own image and likeness. And that does not lead to an abundant life. That does not lead to the community that God envisions in the new creation. So what we see is that we live in diversity. We live in community so that we are embracing the the humanity of Jesus, to become more and more conformed to his image and likeness. So we're going to be looking at Acts, 1, Acts 13, but also 2 Peter 2. And I like this because Acts 13, it's kind of like the action, it's the narrative. But 1 Peter 2 is kind of like the reasoning. It's the, the thinking through the mindfulness of, okay, what does the church do? Why is it significant? Why is it distinct in God's mission? So 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll read, uh, we'll read that. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. Notice there the the Christ and cross language that we talked about a few weeks ago. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Again, here we find our word oikos, right? I can't talk about church without using a, a scripture reference to oikos. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's a lot here, but let's work through it. Our first phrase we have is, are being built up. The, uh, the form of this verb, uh, are being built, which actually has the same root for oikos in it. You're, we're building up this household. This household is being formed together. Uh, it's kind of hard to understand. We could also translate this as kind of let yourselves be built together. Allow yourselves to be brought together. 
Because what we see here is that Jesus Christ is the living stone. And that's a clear connection with that he is the resurrected Savior. That he was dead, but now he is living. And as we come to him, as we're invited into his community, we are made like living stones. But I love that this, this verb is kind of ambiguous. It's hard to understand because it's, there's this invitation to say, allow yourselves to be built up. Because so many times the curse and sin in the world seeks to separate us. In the garden, sin separated relationship. That's what the cycle of scripture is over and over again, the curse separating community. But what the church chooses to do is to lean into that community. We allow ourselves by God, who is the builder, he is the craftsman, bringing us together. But we are the stones. We allow God, we invite him to move us together as a church community. And we see that, I think, at the beginning of what we read. Rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Remove these things that bring about distinction and division and be united as living stones. That's an invitation here. And again, just to emphasize this, in this uh, language, you also, in the Greek, it's a, it's a plural. It's, it's community-driven. It's not individual. And that's something our Welcome Home people just talked about, is that faith is personal, it's intimate, but it's never private. The biblical writers do not have a content or a context of faith being a private, individual thing. It is distinctly communal. We are all invited, a community of people, to be a part of this diverse family. I think that's practically how we started Oikos, is that we had a direction team, but we knew that that direction team was not going to be enough. Not only were we not diverse enough, but we also did not have the giftings and passions to simply make a church run. We needed people to help with tech. We need people to help with Oikos kids and these kind of practical things that need to happen, but it takes a diversity of giftings and passions and personalities to make the church function, to just more deeply invest in God's mission. Uh, beloved family is distinct with the church. I know of no other organization that chooses to lean into the messiness because we know it's easier to take a step back. It's easier not to get involved, but Christ calls us into these relationships, calls us into community. Next, we're going to talk about spirit-led movement. And we see this in our Acts 13 text. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them to do. We see here that the church in Antioch is distinctly led by the Spirit. That the Spirit is the driving force for God's mission out. That's how it is empowered. That's how it moves. Not by our own efforts, but accepting the invitation to be led by God's Spirit. I think that changes the way that we operate. It changes the way that we worship here on Sundays. That yes, we are coming here to be encouraged, to worship, to take the table. Uh, we do these things to build up one another, to be unified in praise. But we must not forget that when we come here on Sundays, it is to hear a word from the Lord, to be guided by the Spirit, to be sent back out into mission. We see that that's what happening, is happening in the Antioch church, is that they are coming together, worshiping, fasting, to hear a word from the Lord, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And it doesn't send them to just stay here, but sends them out into mission. It sends them out to make discipling relationships and plant churches. And that is what the church does, I think, distinctly, that we are coming together to hear a word from the Spirit, that we encourage communities that are reflective in nature, that we are discerning communities that come together, we arrange our lives around the life of Christ so we can become more attuned, more attentive and sensitive to the speakings and promptings of the Spirit, that we are Spirit-led people 
and church. And again, that is distinctly uh, unique to the, uh, to the church, um, that we are practicing and cultivating a life where we just become more attuned to this. And again, we see this in our First Peter 2 text. Uh, notice, we are built into a spiritual household. So spirit oikos, a spiritual oikos, a household. Um, what's unique about this kind of phrasing is that if you are reading First Peter chapter 2, and you read things about a holy priesthood, even this language of like come to the living stone, that's very uh, similar to like coming to the altar uh, in the temple uh, system. But we also see this again with this kind of holy priest, this holy nation. And if you're reading this, I think what Jewish readers would have thought was, uh, man, uh, it's a little annoying there, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> that's okay, we'll, we'll power on. Uh, but what we see is when they'd be reading this, they'd be thinking, okay, Peter here, he's going to talk about the temple. He's talking about the temple, this place of worship, of sacrifice. But he doesn't use the word temple. He uses the word oikos. And that's, that's significant because the, the mission of God is shifting, not from a temple where we are gathered together to give sacrifices, but what's being gathered together now is God's people, that the spirit now dwells among a community, a church body, just as it dwells individually in us. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2 as well, that we, uh, the spiritual oikos, is where the Spirit chooses to dwell. So Peter here is kind of uh, distinctly shifting how God's mission takes place. It's no longer a temple, but a people, a household, that the mission of God is now taking uh, embodiment and incarnated in. So that's what the church does, that it is listening to the promptings of the Spirit to join God's mission more and more and more. And we've seen this all throughout, I think, church history. In 369, uh, so a long, long time ago, 369, we find that the uh, church in Cappadocia, which is now modern Turkey, uh, is struck by one of the most severe famines that it's ever been recorded. And there's a bishop of the church at that time called St. Basil, wasn't saint then, but became a saint later, where he sees the famine and he sees the injustice and the suffering that's caused from that. That there are poor who are hungry, that there are naked who need to be clothed, that there are sick who need to be healed. And due to the prompting of the Spirit and Basil reading scripture and seeing that Jesus cares about the marginalized, he cares about the needy, he's moved to get the church in action to serve these people. So he starts what seems to be one of the first soup kitchens of placing uh, soup and meat in basins out for the public to partake in. But you see, the Spirit continues to move us further and further down mission because it doesn't just stop there, but Basil then begins to uh, bring about justice, to not only feed the poor, but to equip them with trade skills. And what is so unique is that what funded this motion was the church, that Basil had a place to convict and change the hearts of people to be more generous, to give to those who are needy. So it was funded by the church. But not only that, but again, the diverse gifting and skill set is what trained these poor people with new gifts, new trades to uh, take care of themselves and to then take care of the community. And from this uh, work came what was called the first basiliad, the first hospital that adjacent to the church was this place where the poor could come, the sick could be healed, and that came out of this distinctly Christian community. 
moved by the Spirit to bring about justice and ministry and mission to people in need. So Basil is our good example of Spirit-led movement today. Next, we have holistic ministry, and we're moving right uh, right along. So what we see is that there's this diverse, Spirit-led family who sends two out to do the work. And that's what I loved about what we just did of laying on hands of our new partners here at Oikos. Because that's what the Antioch Church does, that they lay hands on Barnabas and Saul and sends them out to do work. So our new partners, partners here at Oikos, when we lay our hands on you, it is to further call you into God's mission, that we are sending you out to your families, your workplaces, your your, uh, neighborhoods to join in God's mission to be active, to provide holistic ministry. And that's exactly what the early church does in Antioch. Let's read this. Acts chapter 13, continuing on in verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was, at, was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Another way to say this is, will you not stop uh, making crooked the straight paths to the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So notice what this holistic ministry looks like. It's Paul and Barnabas going from city to city in Cyprus, which, remember, is kind of Barnabas' hometown. Barnabas is going home to where he has a relational oikos and network to begin doing ministry. But we notice it's holistic ministry because they are proclaiming the word of God, that they're inviting all people into discipleship to Jesus. Uh, if you just finished Welcome Home, and for those who did a few months ago, we talked about a discipleship triangle where we lean into up, in, and out relationships. So discipleship is inviting, making disciples is inviting new people onto this path. We see this in our our text that we just read, that this false prophet, Elimas, uh, Bar-Jesus, was making crooked, making it difficult to follow Jesus Christ. So holistic ministry is opening up the pathways, opening up the path to following the Lord. That's what holistic ministry is, entering into discipleship-centered relationships that then build churches and then sends more people to make disciples and make more churches. We make straight the path of the Lord. So we can think of our up, in, and out relationships, these areas of our lives as a triangle, but I think it's also helpful to see it as a path. So on this path, there are three lanes where we grow and walk in discipleship, uh, being renewed in our 
relationships here at Oikos and focusing on our outward relationships, how we do ministry, how we bless the world, how we belong, but then also how we behold God, that in our up relationship with God, that's discipleship, growing in these ways to become more conformed to the image of Christ. But this is not a path that we walk alone, but we are a caravan of people walking down this path together. And that's how we make disciples, is that we find older disciples who become guides on this path, saying, hey, let me help you commune with God more. Hey, let me teach you and show you what it means to reach the nations, to bless your neighbors. But also discipleship is inviting everyone and anyone to join on this path. So that's what we do. We go out to the streets and the highways and the byways. We go into the cities, inviting people to become a disciple of Jesus, to be renewed in our identity in Jesus and to walk in newness of life. That we believe the life that we are walking is the only path that leads to life. Everything else leads to death. Everything else leads to destruction. But Jesus has called us into an abundant life with him. So notice again with our First um, Peter text, offering spiritual sacrifices. This is Discipleship 101. It is uh, leaning into the practices and habits that Jesus lived, that we are rearranging our lives around Jesus in hopes of becoming like him, living life as Jesus lived life. So that is discipleship. I want to now uh, move to holistic ministry is something where uh, we are offering what Basil did. We're offering charity. We're offering uh, justice to people. But what is distinct about the church is that we also offer these discipling relationships, that we are offering a renewed sense of life. Uh, In August of 2017, Hurricane Harvey struck Houston, causing uh, catastrophic flooding, leading over to $180 billion worth of damage, 300,000 homes impacted, flooded, damaged in Houston, one-third of the city of Houston covered in water. And if you've been to Houston, that's, that's a lot of water. It caused and wreaked havoc and chaos in Houston. Uh, We were living in Houston during this time, working at a church. And what I remember that was so distinct about that moment was that our church still had power. We still had a lot of open roads. Um, So our church almost became a hub of ministry, of housing those who were unhoused. But it happened like naturally. Like we didn't have to have a meeting about it to just say, hey, is this something we want to do? Flooding happened and the church moved in. And not only that, but our neighbors, who we had never seen on a Sunday morning, naturally gravitate towards dropping off supplies and supplies and supplies because that's what they saw the church does. The church moves in motion, moves in the moment of need to provide housing. So I remember we would get in our church bus and just drive until we could hit water. And then we'd follow the water line until boats showed up with more people who needed to be taken somewhere. So we'd take them to our church, house them. But what the church does distinctly, because there's lots of nonprofits that can do similar things, and we're doing really good work. But where the church is unique is that we had one gentleman in particular who we found just picked up, who had been dropped off on a boat, taken to our church building. He had no friends, had no family in town, had no place to stay. So he stayed at the church building for a couple of months. But what's unique about the church is that he not only was provided a housing food, shelter, clothing, but he was invited into a family. He was invited into discipling relationships where now his life is renewed because not only does he have community, but he now has life in Jesus Christ. That is where we are distinct as a church because we are offering life, renewed identity in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
No other group is doing that. No other organization. The church is distinct in our mission to invite all people to take on the life that Jesus gives us. So that's where the church is unique. Lastly, let's talk about renewed identity. Notice here, you also like living stones. What I think is significant, like we talked about, is that when we come to Jesus, our identity becomes that we are renewed, we are made alive, that we had an old self, a dead self, but now we have a new life in Christ. That is now our identity. And then also notice the identity we find in Acts 13, that they were worshiping and that they were sent off, that we are a worshiping people and that we are a sent people that our attention, our, our eyes are locked distinctly on God, that we are a worshipful people because he has made us new, he has invited us into a loving relationship and that is distinct to church, that we are worshiping and honoring God, we are worshiping and we are a sent people. But what is, I think, unique about the church is that it must be done in community, that our renewed identities are almost realized in community. It's done in fellowship with one another. I want to read a quote from uh, Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Renovation of the Heart. And in it, he says this, spiritual formation, good or bad, is always profoundly social. You cannot keep it to yourself. Anyone who thinks of it as merely a private matter has misunderstood it. Anyone who says, it's just between me and God, or what, what do I do is my own business, has misunderstood God as well as the, the me, the us. Strictly speaking, there is nothing just between me and God, for all that is between me and God affects who I am, and that in turn modifies my relationship to everyone around me. My relationship to others also modifies me and deeply affects my relationship to God. Hence, those relationships must be transformed if I am to be transformed. If I am to be renewed. So we are invited to Jesus to walk down this path of discipleship, to have renewed identities. But it's not enough to simply have renewed identities individually. Okay, I'm going to be a good, healthy person on my, my own. That's just simply not how it works. Because our renewed identities are realized in community. That we are made more patient that we are made more kind, that we are made more joyful, and the fruit of that is born out in the church, led by the Spirit. So our, our renewed identities must be realized with one another, not in isolation, not alone, but in messy church communities. So the hope of the world is that more and more church communities are inviting people into renewed identities where we become more gentle, more kind. That our hope for Memphis distinctly after the past few weeks is that more and more people invite into a family where they are known, known and they are loved, where they do not reach out in violence because of their upbringing or hurt or wounds, but that we are offering healing communities where identities are made new. And I think that happens distinctly in church. So we have beloved families where we are diverse, spirit-led people being called into God's mission, that we are providing holistic ministry, that we are feeding the hungry taking care of the poor, but also offering this gift of the gospel of new life. And then lastly, that our identities are renewed and that happens distinctly in community. That's the church. That is the mission of God. And we choose to live distinctly in the messiness of that until new creation, that we are anticipating the return of the Lord and we are 
faithfully staying in the middle of it on the edge of God's kingdom, looking out to the darkness to provide this to everyone that we come in contact with. That is what the church does. Let's stand up and we'll, I'll bless you and we'll be done. Go get your kids. <clears throat> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the people and I will bless them. Holy Father, we come to you as a people seeking to join in on your mission that you're inviting us daily to be part of your work. Father, we pray that you give us boldness and courage to step into people's lives and relationships that are difficult and messy, but we are choosing to step in the middle of it to bring renewal and hope for your kingdom. Father, be with us as we move into your mission this week and this year as we keep on moving. Be with us as we choose moving forward to plant more churches, to plant new Jesus-centered communities that are offering this holistic ministry to all who come into it. We thank you for Jesus on the cross who won us the victory already, and we are living in that victory today. That is guiding our missions, guiding our ministry. Father, we thank you for Jesus, his life that he lived, and we pray that you faithfully watch over us in our endeavors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.